everybody, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show, and welcome once again for your one-stop shop for everything having to do with freedom, liberty, the Constitution, and everything American. I, I Am I allowed to say that? I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. But you know what? We're going to say it anyway, because on this channel, it is about uh, America and about saving this great nation of ours. And today is New Year's Day, 2024, and it's going to be an exciting year. It's going to be an eventful year. And I'm going to be doing a series of podcasts uh, with a number of people. And today I have two guests. I have Steve Maxwell, who ran for sheriff down in Spotsylvania County. And I have uh, Mike Allers, who also ran for the state senate out uh, just west of where I'm located here. And we're going to check in with these guys and um, see how they did last night on New Year's Eve. I'm sure they're both very, very tired from last night. And we're just going to start giving you guys um, behind the scenes with the whole election that we just had. And then point forward to the the future and um, talk about 2024, because this is definitely going to be a big year. And and, uh, guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. Okay, Mike, are you on there? Hey, Mike. How are you, buddy? Hey, how are you? Uh, that's good, our good friend Mike Allers and Steve Maxwell. And um, I, who wants to go first? I, maybe Steve. We'll start with Steve. And sure. uh, tell us a little bit about you know how you're doing. Uh, I, if you're anything like me, I still feel like uh, I'm in recovery mode. I, Steve, I feel like uh, after my run for the Virginia State Senate, uh, I feel like I ran uh, three marathons back-to-back in one day, and, and now I need about six months to recover. I mean, are you feeling the same way? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, when especially, I think it's different in Virginia than it is anywhere else, you know, because our, in the great wisdom of, <clears throat> pardon me, our commonwealth, we have 45 days of early voting. And when you're there on that front line every day for those 45 days, it's, it's, it's a grueling, grueling task. So, um, you know, for everybody that ran for any one that runs in Virginia, um, I, my hat's off to them. I've got a lot of respect for anybody that, that actually does that and works it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I, <laughs> you if, had I been elected to the Virginia State Senate, one of the first things that I was going to do was get rid of that. Now, I remember talking to some uh, voters and they said, oh, no, I, I think that that's great. It gives, you know, people an opportunity. You're going to deprive people of the ability to vote. Let me let me let me tell you something. If after 45 days you've not made the decision to vote and figured out who you're going to vote for, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, uh, really? Yeah, I think you you're need a moron. 45 days to do this? <laughs> <Yeah>. What's that? <laughs> I think you'd be a moron. It's just, you know, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I, you know, you know, 45 days. <laughs> and, and you know what? And Steve, and, and, and to your point, uh, if you've never run for, it, that's easy for somebody to say that's never run for office. If you've run for office and you have to get the volunteers, you yourself have to be out there. And I, my district spanned two counties, and and I know Mike uh, had more than two counties. Um, it's a lot. It, that's a lot. To, it's expensive. Um, it's expensive to the to the county to do it because you know the people oh. that work there they're being paid. This is this is a pretty expensive endeavor, and and I, it, forty five days is just too much. It's just it's that's really, why, yeah. It's it just like I said, if you can't figure it out in forty five days, you're a moron. I don't I don't understand. It's just I think that the people that decided that, and, and again, uh, you can't ever get in anybody's mind, and but. Uh, you know, our founding fathers set up an election day. I'm a big proponent of having the one day for elections. Um, 
you know, we had things in place to set up for our military, which is originally what early voting was and, and uh, mail-in ballots were supposed to be about. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of shenanigans and chicanery and things that go on for 45 days. And it's just um, I think our elected officials just need to get a better handle on how we the people can uh, get our voices heard. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. It's just it's, and you know, you know, guys working yeah. to that point. It's odd because, I mean, mine was 190th of that time because I had the ridiculous six-hour primary. Right. But the thing is, um, with to Steve's point, oddly, and I was at the polling, you know, I was at the polls on the on actual election day as well, people still didn't know who was running. And, and the fact that after 45 days, all the media, all – the stuff going on, God knows how many opportunities people were still walking up that sidewalk saying, who's running? What's going right. on? Right. So the, the information process, if, we, if we're saying that that 45 days exists to give people opportunities to vote, to give people information, it's not working. It's still not working. It's when I, People are still in the dark about who to vote for, what they're going to do, what the importance of it is, all that kind of stuff. After 45 days of just bathing in it. So I'm actually, I'm against the 45 days. Clearly I would have gone for the same thing, Steve. I mean, and Mike had I been elected, uh, but I could probably be convinced of a long weekend. I could see a Friday, Saturday, Monday voting period. I could see something of that nature. So, cause not everybody's job is going to shut down and give them the opportunity to vote, but we have to argue for something. If we could trim it down, you know, to one tenth of what it currently is, I'd be cool with that. Well, could I ask? And 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 I, to that point, um, I'll ask both of you. Doesn't that get us back with what you're saying about people needing information and wanting that, not knowing what they're doing, even after a 45 day voting period? Um, and an opportunity, everyone in Virginia knows you have 45 days of early voting. But people don't do that. So it almost boils it down to I think people are still uh, we're trained into our dual party system. People think, well, I'm either, you know, I I think it throws the divide in. I'm either a Republican or I'm a Democrat and or I'm an independent. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Not that self an independent. I ran on an independent ticket with uh, as a sheriff here in in Spotsylvania. but. I just think that we as a society here in the United States needs it to do a better job and getting the word out to our young generation, our, you know, of getting out to vote um, because and learning about your candidates and how important it is and how important it is that voting time is when your voices are heard. We all three of us were on the campaign trails talking about that to people uh, that this is our time we need a better messaging i've heard you uh uh talk about on your podcast mike about messaging and how the republican party needed you just did one i think about messaging for the republican party yeah uh, last Um, night as a matter of fact yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah so last night uh, yeah yeah okay so that was And and i think there's an advantage i think the the people in power find it uh to their advantage that people are not informed Yes. I mean, yes. you know, I mean, you just they lay low because they want that they want these elections to be quiet, especially when the establishment's being challenged. 
So for them to keep it quiet is to their advantage and they maintain their power because people just, you know, are reluctant to change anything if they go up to the polls uninformed. So you know, uh, to, to that point, Mike, and, and it's kind of interesting, yeah. Steve, and, and anybody that's out there doing a PhD the, or looking for a thesis uh, for, you know, if you're working on a, a political science PhD degree, I think it would be interesting to look at a couple of things. Um, you know, number one, was the voter, voter turnout higher because of the 45 days of voting? I think that they're j- just looking at the lay of the land. I think an argument could be made that there statistically wouldn't be a whole lot of difference between three days of voting and 45 days of voting when it came to the voter turnout, number one. Mm -hmm. And then number two, I will tell you this, and maybe this is something that we we can talk about here uh, in this episode, is, you know, we were all very upset. Um, You know, Steve, you ran as an independent, so this may not apply to you. But, Mike, I know it it definitely applied to you, and that was support from the governor and the lieutenant governor, uh, particularly financial support and getting the money out. Uh As I look at the numbers, at the the chosen five candidates that <laughs> got money from the the governor in the spirit of Virginia, which is his pack, um, I don't know that they did all that much better than I did, and I had absolutely no financial backing, and which means, <clears throat> and I think it goes to your point, Steve, is that really the voters that showed up were going to vote Republican or Democrat, period. And any amount of money, any amount of advertising, any amount of door-knocking campaigning um, wasn't going to change that statistic, uh, much statistically. Uh, that's just how I look at it. I don't. What do you guys think on that? I'm, I was super disappointed with the fact and the governor, I think, completely lost an opportunity to be effective as far as his involvement um, because I mean, by putting his face on different posters of different um, candidates and by endorsing others, I think he, he really gave too much credit. He was far, uh, his far more important than he actually is. Um, but by the same token, um, given the fact that he got involved, like in my primary, he told me, to my face, he wasn't going to get involved uh, with my my district, the 28th, and then with 23 days left, wound up endorsing my opponent, and then really getting involved, and then the money came toward my opponent, who was the incumbent. But the he he misused his power, and um, when you're looking at Republican Democrat, like you had mentioned, had he gotten involved in every race. Um, as far as you, like just challenging um, a Democrat, a clearly well-established and well-financed Democrat, had he said, I stand behind Mike Van Meter, I think in my, you know, maybe I'm being too simplistic, but I think that would have maybe given you five or seven points more, which would have been a big difference in that election, in, in, in in the primary. And I, I, in the election, excuse me, I don't understand why he sat back. He was looking to increase his his name recognition. He was looking to have a straight 15 for 15 or whomever he supported so he could then use it as a springboard to the presidency. He looked beyond his role as governor clearly from the beginning. The lieutenant governor did the same thing. Mieris, I know, endorsed you, but still basically stayed on the sideline for most of the 
challengers that were not in their little group. So I looked at it as a missed opportunity. Duncan, this, the, the fact that the House uh, kind of went back and the, the Senate remains in Democratic power, I think it rests solely on his involvement and uninvolvement at the same time in this election. Well, uh, and I'll give you from my point of view, uh, you know, and the things my experience of what I've seen uh, and totally agree with everything both of you said. And I'll carry it one step further. Um, they don't care. Politicians don't care. No, no, they don't. You know, I'll use the Bongino rule. They don't like you no matter what they tell you. No politician likes you outside of the people that are in to the people. And what I mean by that, they're in their community. They're in, in with their, the people they represent. And you know who that is because you see them in your, your district, you know, mm-hmm. ventures to say, you don't see anybody unless it's a high profile. You don't see the governor walking around. He, and you're exactly right. Uh, Mike, he, he only participated, thought he could handpick his team and lost sight. Right. If you're a coach and I looked at uh, Yunkin as a coach, Mm-hmm. He wasn't looking out for the total team. He was looking for some star players in yeah. his college team to throw out to the national, right? So when draft time came, which was a presidential run, could put him ahead in a presidential run. Well, he failed miserably because I think he was, A, getting bad advice because he had the political elites trying to dictate who gets in office and who doesn't. Because if you don't kiss the ring, you're not getting in office. And... It's just it's just that plain and simple. And now with these things, electronic voting, and a lot of the things that we're doing in our voting system, it allows for other things to happen and they can now start controlling and manipulating the vote however they want. Yeah, it, it is so true. And I mentioned this on the podcast last night that this when I went into this and, and you both are both uh, police, military uh, you know, the same with me. And I looked at this, honestly, when I went in is a, is a team effort. We were team R, we were team Republican. And I really thought that this was going to be all of us helping one another, all of us, you know, get across the finish line. Let's, let's go team, because this is a Republican front and it was anything but that. And it's not even limited to the governor uh, or Lieutenant governor, to be honest with you. I think it was across the board. There were a lot of candidates that I was very disappointed with and how they treated this. It was clearly about them. They uh, did not care how you did. Whereas I was always reaching out to other candidates. In fact, I got criticized quite a bit for going outside my district to help other candidates. And and I had people pull me aside and say, you know, you don't do that. You stay within your own district because, you know, you need to worry about yourself. They're worried about themselves. And and I, I just, I, I find that abhorrent. I find that um, d- distasteful. And, and I also found it uh, ineffective or ineffective rather, because I, uh, you know, like, like you mentioned, Mike, it was, um, you know, p- p- the coach picking the star players as opposed to the successful teams that, and even the star players realized that it's the team around them that, that made them. And it was just, I, I don't know if it's his background in risk management. Um, I, I was just, scratching my head the entire time but I, but I will tell you face to face I told him I told him to his face that he needed to stop doing that and you know and then he would give me the line about how I am supporting you I'm I'm allowing you to take pictures <laughs> right. with me and it just it yeah. was just laughable right. yeah 
believing in their own hype. Again, they believe in their own hype. And, you know, when you surround yourself with yes, men and women and people who tell you uh, every, every idea you have is great. And, and again, it's an ego trip that I, I found And, you know, rather than let's do what's right for the people, which is what all three of us had done throughout the election cycle as we met people, because all three of us went outside our own districts and Mm -hmm. outside our own counties to go help each other, help other races, help other candidates in all things. And we did it based on that. We believe these were the right people to help. But anybody Mm -hmm. that came and asked, I don't recall you guys ever turning anyone down. If someone came and asked for your help, you gave it to them. And that's what team is. Right. You didn't see that in the Republican Party this this year. You didn't see it in our governor. You didn't see it in the lieutenant governor. You, you saw this. If it wasn't going to be reflective of them in their national ambitions, it just wasn't going to happen. And that tells you that the success rate that they're going to have just isn't going to be there. They, they, they look like every other politician that's going to be in the office. Uh, they're going to be feckless. You know, now we're going to have a governor who's, who is, was a lame duck from the day he got elected. And, you know, there many opportunities came by and he just let it go again. Why getting bad advice or not from others and that comes from the national party to the state party biggest thing you know the state party i personally sat down with the state party chairman and of the republican party and said here's what i think here's an opportunity for us just in my county Mm -hmm. which was which this election cycle went almost total democrat um and i had an opportunity i said here's what i see because we had republicans endorsing and and helping the other side, the the Democratic Party. So if, if we're not going to help support ourselves and e- with each other, then there isn't a two-party system. I'm sorry. I don't believe that we have a two-party system anymore or, or whatever party system we have. We have one party system, and that is the party system of the elites, right. of the ring kissers. Yep. That's it. And at the end of the day, it's that, it's that uniparty label that is so true. Yeah. You know, going back to the team concept, I don't want to wear it out, but we all played sports, and and I know every year. I mean, I, you know, I was a starter for the most part in my life in baseball, soccer, hoops, things like that. But the bottom line was, every single year you have tryouts for a reason, and there could be somebody that comes out of nowhere, somebody just moved into the area, whatever it might be, a new yeah. athlete that walks onto that field that challenges you for your position, and if that person is better than a particular position player, they should get the job. And the problem with the party is the party maintains its position players regardless of age, effectiveness, and whatever. All they measure your ability to lead by is your ability to rake in cash. And that's how it is. So my opponent spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, was endorsed by AFP, which is so anti-American, it's unbelievable. And all these different packs gave him money, filled up his coffers so he could do what he wants with it, be a kingmaker, do whatever he needs to do, and completely besmirch the character of those around him. But he's not necessarily the one that's the best person for the job. Once again, is how much money can you bring in? What can you give to the governor as far as filling up his coffers and all those kinds of things? So we don't look for the best position players. Well, and, you know, Steve, Steve, you mentioned, I mean, 
He is lame duck. I mean, he didn't fulfill. I haven't seen one thing fulfilled. I mean, from no. day one, he said he was gonna he was gonna get rid of uh, HB two fifty seven, the thing that led to the nonsense up in Loudon. He said he was gonna do all this stuff as governor. So, if we measure him by promises made, promises kept, his inept his ineptitude is just. I mean. Well, that's that's what happens, Mike, when you're feckless like that. When you, again, when when you don't operate as a team, when you when you decide you're going to be the kingmaker instead of doing the right thing by the people, you know, you're being a good orator doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. Um, I don't see anyone in in that party uh, as leaders anymore. I don't see leadership. I see I see that with. Several people have come above that the ranks as a leader in the presidential race in the Republican Party, which I'm glad to see. I think strong leaders running and competing against each other is going to make us stronger as a party and as a nation and as a people. We're just not following that same thing here in Virginia. I don't now, see that. Is alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And <clears throat> I, w- I will tell you that I've spoken to some other candidates that did receive uh, backing. And then once they received the backing, they were told exactly what to say and what to do. You know, the the fact is that you were going to toe the party line and you were going to get behind the governor and you were going to promote his agenda, which I think is a big part of why I did not get the support because I don't I don't think in anybody's book come across as somebody that is just going to toe the party line. You know, I have my opinions, I have my my thoughts, and and I feel like uh, I earned the right to do that, just as you guys did. I've I've served my nation five times over. You know, as a a, a Navy pilot, a corrections officer, police officer, FBI agent, and now working as a therapist at a hospital. You know, I don't need to cater to anybody. I don't need to uh, get behind you know somebody else's. I wasn't running for office, in other words, to carry the water for the governor or anyone else, for that matter. Right. Uh, I had my my viewpoints, and that's not that's not. Um, you would think that that would be a good thing because that would be leadership. But that apparently was not a good thing. And yeah. I was told several times to tone it down. Uh, I've been told to tone it down on this podcast, and, and I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to do that, and I don't think either one of you guys will either. No, no, no that's, it's your podcast. Every time I heard you speak, Mike, every single time, whether it be it on your podcast, in person, whatever it might be, you extended branch after branch to the governor. You were, you said, okay, I'm going to, you know, we're going to back our, the governor in this, whatever this agenda is, this, this idea that he has, you said, I'm here and willing to make sure that we address mental health. I'm here and willing to make sure that we address tax issues and policing issues. You said, I'm here and willing to extend my expertise. I'm willing to be on team Yunkin. Every single time you mentioned that, I was like, now, perhaps the governor's going to reach out and say, Mike, you know, let's all be on team, the team together. And uh, he, again, missed an opportunity. You you scored like 38 percent anyway without but, his help. I but know, Mike, there, <laughs> in a very, very deep yeah. blue area, which is, which is amazing. And uh, uh, I, I tell you, uh, leadership. And you know something, and I, and I hate to beat up on him, but do you know that he's not made any phone calls to any of the candidates to, to thank them for sacrificing their lives for a year, year and a half? You can't, you can't, you can't help him in any way. 
Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, and, you're, and that goes back to what I was, what I was mentioning and what I yeah. had talked about was when, you know, when you did offer those olive branches, as Alers was referring to Mike, um, it as an olive branch, you weren't willing to take money so that you could just be a mouthpiece. But no. again, no. these people want to surround themselves with yes men. Then they want to say, which none of us did. We didn't, none of us took special interest monies because we were never going to be a mouthpiece for someone. Um, in my particular race, I have a, a county sheriff I was running against who his almost his whole entire campaign was funded by special interest money. Why would a sheriff who's there to be an independent source of, of, fair justice for all be taking so much money from special interest groups, special interest companies. Why? You know, so you follow the money and you, you realize that's not these people because they realize you were going to be an independent voice. Mike would be an independent voice. They didn't want that. They don't want you to to be actually, because see, here's what we've done in political realm in our country. You, you see it every day in our national elections and our, and what happens in Congress is no different than what happens here locally. People get elected to a seat. They forget to be accountable to their people in their district. I could give a rip what happens in Connecticut when I'm, this is my community. This is what I get represented to do. I've got to represent the people that elected me, not some personal belief of what someone in California believes or someone in New York believes. I got to do what my constituency voted me in to do and i will work hard and do everything i can to advocate for what we need and want here in my community not what somebody else is doing now that takes compromise and that takes um, working things out but just a cave and do what these people do that's just it's people have to start rising up and, and understanding you've got to vet people on your own you can't rely on the Republican Party or Democrat Party saying these are the best candidates we have put forward because we all have seen personally that that doesn't happen. They get they these are hand chosen people to run for office, and then you just have to choose the lesser of the two evils that you're being presented. It's yeah, not about you know, chairman, I'm going to vote for for yeah, the, the best the, person. I think the chairman of our local GOPs are completely complicit in that same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at. Look at the, the guy who ran against got money from from Smithfield Farms, which is a China-owned company, right? Dominion Power, AFP, pack this, pack that, and all of that money goes circumvents the whole involvement of people. His constituents aren't involved, so it just goes to the chairs. The chairs make the decisions. The people trust the chairs theoretically, and then it moves forward. And it's just that the system isn't working. And I think that all of the folks that got involved, the chairman, all these things, they're complicit in the fact that Virginia is solidly blue, or it's going to be. And the next governor, I, I, I really don't know who's coming off the bench, but unless we have a real powerhouse, and in my mind, I, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of, I don't know if Amanda Chase or someone like that's going to come off the bench, but they won't have the support they need to beat abigail they definitely won't because it'll be a popularity contest with the chairman the party the folks the, the these different packs etc that give money and um oh well then it's going to be personalities that. yes and then yeah. you're going to see the personalities start instead of doing again do what being in leadership means you don't do the most popular thing you do the right thing that's right and especially That's right. when no one's looking 
And yep. and we don't have anyone like that right now in Virginia in those top offices. Um, again, uh, and that boils down and people need to know that and understand that at your local level, no matter what local level politics drives your state and national, everybody says it, but are they really doing everything they can to make that effective? And when it comes to that, I would say that, that in, in uh, my county, we get a, we get a failing grade for that. And people can say that you and I and Mike, uh, you know, everything we're saying is just sour grapes because we lost our elections. Well, I haven't yet. I mean, we're still running through our, uh, process, but, um, based on a lot of evidence that we, uh, discovered, but, you know, there's no difference in what our state and local offices have are doing than what people see every day and tell us they get disgusted by seeing it in the uh, national news. You know, they talk about how it's terrible and it's disgusting. Donald Trump's being sought after on criminal charges and they're trying to time his time up in court. Well, they did the same thing in my race. Right. They wanted me distracted from running politics because they were so afraid of me beating this deeply entrenched guy who was part of that good old boy system. They right. They came after me with a Hatch Act complaint, which ties up time in court. Then they came after me, try to remove me from the ballot. And that didn't work. They came try to remove me from the ballot from another point of view, just like they're doing with Trump. Because well, they know yours he's going to be microcosm, Yours is a microcosm of what Trump is currently going through. But the thing is, what people don't understand, you talk about folks being informed. People right. don't understand, like, with, let's look at your race, for example. Roger Harris being involved with, you know, taking a knee, being involved with BLM, all the kinds of shenanigans he pulled and his team pulled with your signage and the messaging to, to take you out and the Hatch Act nonsense and all that kind of garbage. Anyone in the Republican Party who supported him is complicit in every illegal thing that went on and every underhanded thing that went on, they're all complicit in. You know, the, the support he got from my opponent, you know, and, and the Bryce Reeves uh, team and all those people, all the little minions that were out there and the sycophants that were out there supporting were all anti-Republican. All an- They were all pro-establishment, anti-Republican, and your opponent was nothing of the Republican Party. He represents nothing that, to me, represents Republicanism. And, and, and no way did he seem like a person that was there for his constituents, there to do the right thing with regard to uh, patrolling your community, keeping your community safe, solving cases, squashing drug activity. None of that stuff was going on. So when you look at the Bryce Reeves and the governor and all those people that we either remained sil- silent or jumped in, all of them are complicit in him potentially getting reelected. And if he's not reelected, they are they, that, that costs them their influence again. So it's all the same thing. It's that keeping the folks in power who either fill your coffers or extend your uh, power. It's all about that. And it comes back to probably term limits. And, and if we if we had term limits, uh, which your opponent says he's for. All in cases except for his own. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and he literally said that. Else. <laughs> he, he, he literally said that, Michael. He said he said I'm a foot time limits except for me. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> At least he's yeah. honest about yeah. that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Oh. We, we could go all day. I, I well, you could. But but that's in, in the bottom line, I think uh, we've all served our countries, whether it was the military and law enforcement, teaching, your, Mike Allers, your public service in your lifetime. I mean, it's just been amazing. <laughs> and, and Mike Van Meter, with what you've done in your lifetime, I couldn't imagine all the the public service you've done and the dedication you guys have had, but we've all served our country and our communities in, in, in similar fashion and similar ways. But a lot of these feckless people never have, you know, these people that are in those positions that are saying and trying to make these decisions, um, you know, they, they've never truly served their country. These are people serving themselves and expect the country to serve them. And that's what they're doing. And we've gotten away from the John Kennedy speech of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Just boil that down to the smaller level. What can you do for your community? We've yeah. lost sight of that. And and people can, you know, again, people could say this is sour grapes, but it all boils down to, you know, we hear the same people complaining and griping about the same thing election after election after election. But they do nothing about it. They don't show up. They don't really mean what they say. They don't support the candidates that they know will make a difference. And so, therefore, it doesn't hurt enough for them yet to do that. Do, oh, yeah. do anything about it yeah and i don't i don't look at it as sour grapes i i really don't it, it's just no. we're i'm just reporting and i know you guys we're just reporting right well we're just what we see, this yeah. isn't this isn't sour grapes at all um no. it <clears throat> listen i like the both of you day after day after day even now you know people i go to meetings now i go to republican meetings and it's this this sucks and biden sucks and the world's going down the tube and the world's about ready to get caught on fire and what are they doing to our schools what are they doing here what are they doing there and um you know i actually had um a guy say to me the other day um i i actually had a guy phone call and he said to me he said to me he said you're not doing enough you're not doing enough and i looked at the the man and i and or not looked at him but we were on the phone and i and i said "Are, are you kidding me are you kidding me? I ran. I just ran for office. What do you? What else do you want me to do? I put myself out there. Um, you, you, there's all this complaining. It's not. We don't have sour grapes. I think a lot of the public no. has sour no. grapes. We did. The three of us. I, I, I can hold our heads up and say we did what we could, but we needed people to show up. And, and enough people did not show up. And my fear, Correct. and maybe switching gears here a little bit uh, into 2024, because, you know, this this last election was what it was. And, you know, Steve, I know you have a fight going on, and, and we shall see how that, that works out. But moving forward, moving forward into, the, into 2024, my fear is that there's going to be a lot of complaining and a lot of um, really... Uh, worry about the future of the nation, but people aren't going to show up, and we're going to have four more years of this garbage that we've had in the White House. And I don't personally think that the country can stand it. I, I'm I'm really beginning no. to fear for the country, and that's not being no. melodramatic. I'm you're, serious. You're entirely right. No, I don't no. think you're being. You know, and when we look at what you did, you know, as far as I want to just jump on the sour grapes thing. I my whole my whole entire my primary was a sham. I mean, a six hour primary on a Saturday. I would have, I mean, what would have happened if I had 45 days? I don't know. But the bottom line is when you look at, when people complain, whoever called you up, Mike, and said you weren't doing enough, and you look at the schools, economy, crime, community, uh, families, all of the stuff that people are complaining about was 
going on and has been continued through the people who are currently in office. You look at the guy I ran against, he's going on 16 years. You look at the governor, he's in office, did nothing to, to eliminate the problems going on in schools, economy, etc. The people that are in there are the ones that have created and kept these problems going. Yet, when they ran, they said they were going to correct them. They were yes. correcting things that they created. So it's it's a system that's just moronic in the fact that people don't engage themselves in the process. They don't engage themselves in knowing who they're voting for and what these people stand for. And they don't point the fingers at the people and say, wait a minute, weren't you there when this happened? Didn't you sign the bill that created and allowed that to happen? Weren't you? I mean, like you look at Biden. I mean, people don't look back at his record and realize how many African-Americans he pointlessly put in jail with the bills that he supported. And then he runs for office and presents himself as a, a man of the people, a friend of the people, a friend of minorities. So it's, it's, it's a system that is uh, it's just problematic. I don't look at it. In my own case, I ran my ass off for a year and a half. And I got to tell you, you guys were there that night when we all broke bread after my primary. I was like, look, I did what I could do. And I felt my role was to inform people, get a different message out there, give of myself, drive all over seven counties, five, six nights a week, take countless times away from my family, uh, just get out there. And for somebody to have the audacity to call you up, Mike Van Meter, you were everywhere <laughs> to call you up when you were working full time, trying <laughs> to be a dad, a husband. And, and your job in, in and of itself is exhausting because yeah. of all you have to pour out of your heart. For someone to call you up and say you didn't do enough, I have a digit that's extended towards that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I you really, know, I really, yeah. I, yeah, it, it, it just shows that people just don't understand. They, they just don't understand. But we are in dire straits. We really are. And I, I you're talking about the Uniparty and... You know, I that's one of the things I, I learned in this whole race was uh, I knew the Democrats were a problem. I knew the Democrats were they were the problem. But uh, it's not just the Democrats. There were some people in our own party that uh, were contributing to the problem. I, I'll take, for example, the and you guys may be asking yourselves the same things. You know, all this stuff going on with Donald Trump and being removed off of the ballot in, oh, in states. Uh, but here's my question. I, mean, I expect the Democrats to do that at this point. But here's my question. Where are the Republicans? You really don't see Republicans on TV no. pounding the table and saying, this is crap. This has got to stop. No. You don't. You don't see it. No. Or, or take a Republican, take a Republican state, Texas, Tennessee, Florida. Where is where is the lawsuit, or where is a case? Where is any re strong red state coming out and saying we're just going to take Bi Joe Biden off the off the ballot? If, you know, if this you is now it. the game, if this is the rule now, right? Again, rules for thee, right? We keep talking about that, but let's. Now, where is that cry? Could be right here in Virginia. Where's the petition in Virginia to, to show we're not a purple state or a blue state any longer? Yeah. That we're leaning Republican. Well, we're we, nobody will do that because we can't even help each other in this state as Republicans. We don't even support each other, let alone now. The important thing is, well, let's take Joe Biden off because I can't think of any president in my lifetime that has committed more detrimental things. In our country, 
illegally. Yeah. I can't think of any other president. I can think of a couple who were close, but in their lifetime, the mo most feckless thing to hurt our country with the border, the things that are going on, we ha literally have an invasion going on in our country, and we're allowing an invasion, which any other time in, in our history, we'd, we'd be um, doing something about that. And we have someone who's not. And what better reason to take someone off the ballot with their very words, their very reasoning, the re Democrats in those states, they're very, you know, uh, reasoning they're using. Biden's doing, but we're not trying to take him off the ballot. Right. Because, again, the same thing that they did to me when they said Steve Maxwell needs to, we want him off the ballot instead of letting the people decide. And I, I didn't ever ask. I know some of the things that my opponent did. I know a lot of the things, and I talked about that. I never asked for my opponent to be removed from the ballot. It's, it is up to the people to decide. Once you get on the ballot, I think it's time to let the people decide. But right now, you know, again, this points back to the common average man and woman in this country having the ability to voice, have their voice heard. These elites, these political elites are trying to take that opinion away. And I saw nothing during our races that showed that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Very well said. You know, and Mike, the, uh, did you want to add to that? Well, no, I do. That's a good idea with regard to the, the whole Biden thing as far as what he's done, even to the the the, the unilateral decisions he's made with uh, appliances and energy and the fact that he's turned a blind eye, even though he put Harris in charge of being the quote-unquote czar of the border. By the time he leaves, it's probably it's potential that there's 10 million people have entered our country. And I don't know, at least half of those are young 19 to 23 year old men. And God knows if there's some kind of sleeper cell or otherwise. So is it is it certainly a possibility to remove him based on his actions from the, the ballot? Sure. But in my mind, I don't think the Democrats want him on the ballot anyway. So I think the Democrats will be the. If he did get removed, they'd be like, great, you're doing us a favor. We don't want him on the ballot anyway. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, I want, I want to go back to one thing you guys brought up, and it, it triggered something in my mind. You know, the fact that the Republican Party at this point, I think, is its own worst enemy. And, Steve, you ran as an independent, and I kind of kicked myself for not doing that because at least I would have been in the running till November. Uh, but everybody told me, oh, you're not being a party man if you do that. Uh, you know, my opponent... And the, and the chairs wanted me to sign this agreement that said if I lost my primary, I wouldn't run as an independent because they don't want competition. But what we do wrong is, and I think with the exception of us three and Phil Hamilton, uh, Julie Perry, a handful of other people that came together uh, as a, uh, you know, a, a contingent group and we, we stuck together. Our names were always on each other's lips. When we were out there speaking, we would say, I would say, Steve, you would say, we would, Mike, you would certainly say, look, I'm not the only person like me running. There is another guy up in the 33rd. There's a girl in the 30. What is she in the 30th? I forgot. Uh, 36th, uh, Julie's. Phil's down in the uh, 11th. These people are all running, and we can change this state. But there were candidates who were told, by their handlers to abandon that team concept. And we all know who I'm speaking about. And Absolutely. they didn't 
stick together. So in order for us to change what's going on, in order for us to change certainly the Commonwealth and, and the country, I guess, as a whole, if we don't stick together with people of like mindsets and like energies and like dreams and everything else that we could do for this state and the, co- and the country, we're not going to get anywhere. And so all we did was the people that remained silent with regard to the people that were like-minded, like us, who, who put people first rather than self, uh, they're just part of the unit party as well. And it's unfortunate. And I, I look at that as, again, another missed opportunity uh, for what went on. Yeah. I don't know what you guys think about that. No, no, I, I, I agree. And it's amazing. There, there were candidates that across the board, and I won't mention their names, but if you're listening to this, you know who you are, that would have nothing to do with other Republican candidates. And yeah. part of it was they were, their handler, handlers were telling that, or they made the decisions for themselves. We have um, congressional candidates that would never speak to other Republican candidates. And and again, you know who you are. Um, and, I, and I think if you put two and two together, you can figure out who they are as well. And um, uh, I find that abhorrent. And I find that, uh, again, it's, it's you're making this about you. And say what you want about me. Say what you want about Mike Allers or Steve Maxwell. But all of us, I know, we, we, put, we did this because we care about our community and, and our, our state and our country. That's why I ran. That's why mm-hmm. I ran. But I'm not yep. sure that's why a lot of these other people run. And, and we're all paying a deep price as, as a result of this. Um, and we really are. We are going to pay a dear price. You know, I, uh, I saw in the news this morning that uh, Chairman Xi out of uh, China uh, posted a warning to Taiwan. And my, I think what's going to happen between now and the time that Biden's out of office is that you're going to see a major move from China. And we have uh, Israel has blown up, obviously. Uh, Ukraine is going on. And w- the world right now is a powder keg. And we, if there was a time we needed leadership, it was right now. And we, we don't have it. We absolutely no, don't have it. I was looking at the calendar this morning. I figured that they got 384 days to act. Yep. And I think I see Taiwan being in play. I see North Korea. He, he mentioned some sharpen your swords crap. I see, I could see Taiwan and how that distracts people. If, if she decides to go in there, I could see at the same time a simultaneous invasion of South Korea. Mm-hmm. And I see, I mean, all of this kind of stuff is really, they, if anybody thinking that this isn't going to happen under Biden's watch is just, you know, really clueless because the world knows that Donald Trump, if he were in office, this crap isn't going to happen. But if it, you know, but uh, the thing I worry about, there's other candidates in that race against Trump. I don't think Haley's going to change anything. I think she's just going to add to the machine and add to the wars we're involved with. But, uh, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I think the world knows you have 384 days, excluding today. So it's 384 that they could do all this and the world could be at war and countless lives lost all because of the fact that, to quote Steve, we have a feckless leader who is uh, beyond inept and he's got other people controlling him. China controls him. His son has shamed him. And God knows how many people have given to the big guy, quote unquote, that own him. And we, as a result, are being manipulated and unprotected. And these cells are entering every day 
Arizona is just inundated with young men coming across. And if they find themselves with arms, God knows yeah. what happens. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we really, we need people who are paying attention. You never hear, you never hear local politicians talk about the world stage. No. Never. Nope. They're uninformed. They don't understand it. Uh, now, this new, this other fellow down in running for the seventh, uh, they have Cameron Hamil- uh, Hamilton. They have him on the news all the time. Super informed guy. I, I, I'll be interested to see how they, if they, the party coalesces around him or winds up getting behind somebody who's more popular and, and, and certainly more locked in. I don't know. I'd be interested to see what happens. But um, who knows what leaders are stepping up, you know? We talk about supporting each other. We were all supported by um, Amanda Chase, but Amanda, the, given the fact that she's so independent, the party basically disowned her anyway. Yeah. So a voice like hers is set out there as a pariah, whereas because of her independence, because of her honesty, and that that therein lies the biggest problem of all. So. Well, and and I would agree, and that takes you know you had mentioned we were all talking a little bit about uh, things going on with the southern border, and just because of what I do at uh, Department of Defense, and my focus and what I do, I'm when I'm at home and contemplating my family. I have a son who's a E6 drill sergeant down at uh, uh, in Georgia, and I just I am concerned with what's going to go on and what things are happening and we continue to let these millions coming across our border unchecked and when i say unchecked i really mean unchecked we have no idea who they are they come in even if they're one of the quote-unquote asylum seekers they don't have identification they don't have we just one trip to the border you see all these identification papers that people leave behind because they don't want us to know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want us to know what kind of criminal past they had or military past they have in whatever country that they're coming from. We don't even know they say they're from a certain country. We have no idea. I see it all the time. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's something that is going to come back to bite our local, like you mentioned, Mike, um, our local governments. Look at uh, Chicago. I was, I was just, watching a, an, a news article where the city of Chicago is taking $95 million of their COVID relief funds and putting it into their illegal uh, migrant problem because them being, them being the welcoming city that they are, uh, right? The $95 million. Now they had a homeless problem to begin with. Now think of, You've been struggling in their cities. And this isn't just Chicago. You're talking about right up here, right up the road from us in D.C. I see it every day. I work there. I see the homeless tents and the, the people that the more and more homeless because they're moving migrants into these illegals who come across our border illegally into these hotels and into these uh, shelters and kicking out American citizens who have to live in the street. I see it. Well, you know, you look at Chicago, you could get, keep on Chicago for a second. Then mayor actually thinks that reparation funds should be put forth into the community so people will stop committing crime. He thinks that black on black crime will be squashed if you give reparation money to people. That's right. how insulting that is. And you know what we didn't even mention besides the illegals coming in? We didn't even mention the pro-Hamas people. They're here already. I mean, these we have some clueless people out there, you know, 
uh, vilifying Israel and the anti-Semitism that's running rampant on our college campuses and the presidents and CEOs of these universities, Harvard, etc., out there espousing anti-Semitism. And you, you told my father was in World War II. I'm sure you guys had relatives in World War II. Yeah. And my father taught us the value of what that war was about was to squash, in large measure, anti-Semitism. But look what happened. It's back. And you have people stopping traffic and parades and uh, yelling all sorts of slogans and threatening the whole last night's uh, New Year's Eve um, festivities. All of that stuff is currently going on. Not to mention the invasion, not to mention the potential for Taiwan and North Korea, and God knows what's going on in South America because China is so China is so involved in that. We we are really uh, at the precipice, and we're looking, and we're we're really you know it's horrible. And the other thing is, Steve, you talk about the illegals, talk about um, the thing that got me crazy. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike Van needed uh, to get into all this. No, stuff, no, no. Go ahead. The the VAs are being asked to take care of some of these illegal. Oh, the that's VA ridiculous. So I, I mean, this is crazy. We have homeless vets out there. We have vets out there who are taking their own lives because they can't get served. Mike, you know that as a behavioral therapist. Yeah, oh you yeah. Know, there's countless people with PTSD and others, other scarring on their minds forever that can't get into a hospital quick enough and they're, 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 they're mentally ill and they're taking drugs and they're I mean, they need more help than ever, and they deserve every ounce of our help. But now we're helping 10 million additional people who don't even belong here, and we support these college presidents who completely have such a disdain and distaste for our country and, our, and all our values? I mean, what are we going to do, guys? And electing the same people over and over again, all it does is keep it going. It pushes Well, the I think we're doing down. that, Mike, you know, with uh, – Van Meter and his, his podcast and the things, the advocacy that he's doing for our country and, and you and the service and, you know, for people that are, we're, we're all we can do is continue to bring it to light, right. taking action ourselves, people, other people need to get involved in local politics, Yeah, whether it's running for office. I think, I think there's people out there that could run for an office that they choose not to, because again, it's inconvenient, but you know, public service is not convenient. You're not doing it because it's convenient. You know, I, I found that you're either running for office because you truly want to serve your community and you want to do what's best or you want to serve yourself. And unfortunately, we have too many of our politicians, local, state and national, who want to serve themselves. And it's easy to find them, it's easy to recognize them. What have they ever done? Go back before they have started running for office. That's why when you look at uh, nationally, when you look at any veteran, any military veteran running for office, they're usually one of the better politicians. I'm not saying they're good politicians because I don't believe there are any. I'm just saying that that when you generally look across the board, I think we need to support more veterans running for office. Yeah, we do. And that's why you have groups like American Veterans Vote. That's one of their missions is to <clears throat> um, get people, not just veterans, but you know, people that were police officers, doctors, nurses, um, you know, people that have EMTs, people like that, people that have served their community. And I think that's a very good point is, you know, I, I, I used to ask myself that too. I would look at, at some of the people even in our own party and I would look at their background. I go, well, you know, before you decided to run for office, what community service did you do exactly prior 
to, to running for office. And in many cases, it was none. Um, so this is this is and those are the ones that you, you can see that it's pretty clear that they're running for themselves. They're not they're right. not they're not really in it oh, yeah. for the community. And we need people. We really do. And um, so, guys, we'll, we'll have to wrap up with this. But we have uh, obviously so much to talk about. And we're going to do a series of podcasts where uh, I want to take each one of you. I want to take both of you and kind of break down your election uh, your thoughts out on it and the the problems and you know but here on the show we don't focus just on the problems but we focus on the solutions so we're going to bring the solutions to you as well because this is definitely a, a broken system um, I think that's patently obvious to everybody but uh, but what are we going to do about it I think that's that's really what we need to focus on is what can we do because there's just too much at stake um, thank you Absolutely. both for coming on the show today oh uh, thanks Mike thank you Mike, guys. thank you. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. And I'm glad it's been, we've, we've post election after November, we had a dry spell here because I think everybody just needed to regroup, breathe, (laughs) relax, (laughs) recover from the wounds. But we are back at it and we are going to come at it hard in 2024 because uh, we have to. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. God bless you, fellas. All right. You too. And uh, again, this is Mike Van Meter. This is uh, the Mike Van Meter Show. And guys, it's going to be a big year. Are you ready for it? It's going to be. Yeah. Let's get out there. Let's take our country back, guys. Talk with you soon. Bye-bye.